This is The Every Lawyer, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. Welcome to The Every Lawyer, a Canadian Bar Association podcast. I'm your host, Marlise Silver-Sweeney. There's been a lot of positive adoption of technology stemming from the COVID-19 pandemic. Can anyone say Zoom happy hour? But today on The Every Lawyer, we're discussing digital platforms causing grave concern to immigration lawyers. Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada introduced online filing procedures during the pandemic that exclude legal representatives. Programs such as the Online Citizenship Grant don't allow lawyers to submit applications for their clients. This could amount to a breach of fundamental justice, according to the CBA. And today we'll talk about how and why. Lisa Middlemiss will break down this complex issue for us. Lisa specializes in immigration law at Gomberg Dalfin and is currently the vice president of the Citizenship and Immigration Section of the Canadian Bar Association. Lisa, thanks so much for being here with us. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So earlier this year, the CBA expressed concerns to Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada for its new technologies, which excluded counsel from the immigration process. I was wondering if you could break down a bit for us just how these new technologies deprive applicants of their right to counsel in a general sense. Right. No, it's been a very um, troubling phenomenon that we've seen um uh, come about uh, during COVID-19, actually. Uh, the Department of Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada has, in all fairness to them, reacted very quickly to the pandemic, to um, understanding that uh, it's uh, it's important to adapt immigration processes uh, in light of a global pandemic, such that, you know, paper applications become less viable and online processes are more accessible in that regard. So um, they developed a number of new tools and technologies that facilitate the online filing of immigration applications and uh, so I can um, uh, mention a couple of them to you that uh, were developed over the course of this last year, for example, uh, or previously, which um, were rolled out initially uh, in a format, um, at least, that has n- that did not allow um, counsel to properly represent. So, um, you know, uh, there is precedent for representatives being able to properly submit um, applications for clients. We, we've had what we call the authorized paid representative portal for years now, um, almost a decade, I think, maybe not quite that long, uh, whereby uh, we have been able to file applications for our clients under our own umbrella as a representative. So all of our clients' applications are found in that portal. So we were we were rolling with that, if you will, and representing clients and submitting in, in that uh, regard. But uh, during COVID-19, there have been some other processes that were uh, implemented, uh, which did not have such an easy feature or, or or they did not even have a way uh, for uh, representatives to submit online. And we're still seeing some of them today. So one of them, which was quite 
notable uh, amongst the immigration section membership uh, is what we call the TR to PR portal, the Temporary Resident to Permanent Resident Pathway Portal, um, which was developed uh, by IRCC uh, initially only for individuals. Uh, well, actually, it has only been developed for individuals because the idea was this was a one-time program whereby the minister um, was uh, opening up uh, the levels to immigrants who may not have otherwise qualified uh, for permanent residence, such as frontline workers and some students who might have international graduates who didn't have, you know, one year of Canadian work experience might not be eligible for the Canadian experience class. So the idea was go live fast within the TR to PR pathway, let individuals apply. It'll be kind of a, you know, a go-to self, self-representation, I believe is sort of what they uh, envisioned um, because they needed to implement it uh, very quickly. Um, and, um, and the quotas filled like incredibly quickly. Like if we look at the English speaking international graduate stream, it filled in just over 24 hours through this online filing. Yeah. The process was rolled out uh, rapidly and the guide only available the day before the TR to PR pathway opened. And we quickly learned um, uh, the day before that it was going to be uh, very challenging to represent clients because uh, they actually had disclaimers or or mentions on the website that said that your representative could not create the portal, that the representative could not upload documents or populate, um, really um, that uh, that was not going to be possible. And in meetings with the department, they suggested that the only way would be uh, to help clients with this uh, to uh, and the only way for clients to have counsel would be for counsel to screen share um, with the client. The client would have the application portal open on their side that they made in their own name. And then they would have to screen share with the lawyer who would then provide direction, I guess, in terms of uh, what documents to upload. But um, given the stakes were so high and the program numbers were filling up by the hour. Um, and obviously, um, you know, lawyers handle multiple mandates sometimes under normal situations. So this precluded many um, applicants, in my opinion, from uh, receiving counsel or, or adequate counsel. It hampered the ability of those who did uh, attempt to guide clients through this process because they couldn't submit on their client's behalf. The client ended up submitting. And in some cases, uh, the individual applicant may have um, uploaded the wrong document. Um, Maybe they missed the deadline to submit because they're a truck driver and they didn't have time to, you know, uh, pull together an application um, uh, through counsel because counsel couldn't submit on their behalf. So effectively, uh, immigration lawyers were sidelined in this process, which uh, is unfortunate because these are complex processes and the TR to PR pathway was certainly one of them. And there are applicants who have faced refusals um, outright because they did not properly uh, properly provide uh, the required documents. And um, so this is one example that we, that we had seen. Um, if, if for example, I, I don't know, I could have definitely elaborate on some some developments in this regard.
That's great. Well, thanks for starting there. I definitely have some follow-up questions for you about um, these issues and the platforms generally. I was wondering if, and you spoke to this briefly, but if we could go go into it in a bit more depth, how does something like the TR to PR platform that doesn't Mm -hmm. allow counsel Mm -hmm. to upload documents on behalf of their clients, how does it impact that solicitor-client relationship? And what ethical considerations are lawyers held to when it comes to things like electronic passwords that people like perhaps immigration consultants might not be as bound by? Thank you. Yes. Solicitor-client uh, relationship is negatively impacted when uh, the, the solicitor doesn't have uh, full access to the tools they need um, because it involves a relationship of trust and of competence. So um, by barring um, immigration representatives from performing certain, accessing certain technologies, for example, until today, we still cannot file online citizenship applications for our clients. Um, specifically says in the website that representatives cannot access the online process. It hampers us in our ability to best represent the interests of the client. And it may even pose ethical dilemmas. Like, for example, with the online citizenship application, we understand that the online application processing of a citizenship application is going faster. However, um, we cannot actually, we cannot uh, submit online on behalf of our clients. We must submit by snail mail courier, if you will, but it it goes through the the snail mail type of paper system. So we we are hampered in that our client's application uh, may go slower. So for example, you could tell the client, well, you'd be able to apply on your own and it'll go much faster. However, you won't have any counsel. You know, you won't be able, we, we know we can't actually handle the process and ensure all is done correctly. Or you can hire us and we will do ensure that all is there and all is accurate. However, the process is going to be longer. So these are sort of obstacles that we shouldn't have to be faced with because we do have obligations uh, under our respective law societies across Canada and um, we have ethical obligations and and these these pose uh, ethical dilemmas and professional dilemmas even beyond ethics. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks for explaining it to us and breaking it down in that way. Um, I wanted to also ask you about in one of the communications with Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada, the CBA said the lack of counsel in some of these processes disproportionately will affect racialized applicants. Uh, Can you explain how so? Right. No, uh, it's a it's a very um, I know it's a it's a very interesting um, point raised and um, I think it relates to the fact that racialized communities, in some cases, uh, may not have the same access to technologies or uh, languages, like, for example, racialized uh, new immigrants may not have uh, the ability to, um, you know, uh, in English or French, access the 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 uh, tech, the platforms that IRCC has set up and be able to submit on their behalf. And uh, rather, they need someone uh, to counsel, uh, counsel to submit on their behalf and um, navigate in the language it's not their first language, perhaps, uh, and be, be able to ensure that everything is done correctly. Or, for example, I think we could say that in some of the um, 
frontline occupations that the the minister um, rightfully targeted and a great in this uh, it was a great overture overture if you will to include um, these types of occupations in a permanent residence program which had maybe not been so prominent in the past for sure it's great it's a great idea to include that these you know frontline occupations uh, truck drivers and grocery clerks and, and and others and healthcare workers and 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 orderlies uh, etc however if you do not set up the technology to allow those very busy people to be able to access counsel, uh, you sort of um, don't achieve the fulsome goal that you intended to in the first place. Right. So the technology isn't actually matching the goal of uh, IRCC. Yes, it seemed. It seemed. Mm. So it was a it's a good start, but uh, in terms of the, the program, um, and reaching out to quote unquote low skilled, or you know, um, the minister has said I think before that he does not. Uh, he thinks that distinction between low skilled and high skilled is not the right one, and the pandemic has made that clear. Um, as we've seen the importance of of uh, you know different kinds of frontline workers, uh, but the technology needs to ensure that people ha- who wish to hire counsel or access counsel will not be disadvantaged by doing so, that, that they will, in fact, be able to receive the counsel that they um, engaged in the first place. Right, right. Okay. And I try not to repeat jargon, but a lot of the communication with the government mentions the phrase minimum viable product. Mm-hmm. You see that a lot when they talk about the rollout of some of these new platforms. Can you unpack that? What are they talking about there? Yes. My understanding of what they mean by a minimum viable product is that, according to them, they have been under fire to, you know, or under pressure, if if you will, to rapidly release uh, the new technologies to permit applications filing online. For example, the PR representative, the PR application portal, which they recently expanded to representatives in September, actually. So there has been a, one positive development in that regard. But the minimum viable product of the PR application intake portal was the first iteration, meaning that at first they they said, well, it's a, such a rush. Um, they hired a company, I believe it's called Iron Mountain, uh, to uh, develop the product, the technology technology and they ran it through the through the trials quickly without um, embarking lawyers on on the testing and whatnot and uh, the idea was just to go live with it as soon as possible to reduce the paper backlog of applications and get applications in process faster but the byproduct of that sort of rush to get it available was that again representatives were not integrated. So at first, we were not able to submit these online PR permanent residence applications. And as such, um, you know, we were told we'll, we'll be part of the next step of, uh, we'll be, we'll, as the product evolves, meaning the technology, we will, we will be integrating uh, representatives. But there was no um, direct date on the horizon at first. It's only after a lot of advocacy, I believe, on behalf of the CBA immigration section and individual lawyers uh, that 
the department then moved to upgrade um, the product to integrate representatives. And so it's interesting because we started our uh, the CBA immigration section sent a letter to the um, to the department. I guess it was in May to mention that we were not in favor of minimum viable products, which excluded counsel because people have a right to counsel in their immigration pathway. These are very complex processes with serious consequences on people's life. And we received a response back from from the ministry, basically um, suggesting that they heard us, but mentioning all of the unusual exceptional circumstances of COVID-19. But we still really were were, um, perplexed and uh, many people were disappointed and and others even, uh, you know, I'm not sure I can say outraged, but there were people who were outraged that that lawyers could not properly access uh, a technology which was really vital to take advantage of, you know, faster processing times and to be able to properly represent their clients. So um, after that, there were further discussions and uh, our section um, worked closely with uh, the CBA president, um, our, our, our past president, as we have a new one, but a past president, Brad Rieger, to send a letter to both ministers of justice, Lametti and Minister Minacino of immigration to uh, remind them that it's that there is a, a right to counsel in immigration processes and has very devastating consequences for applicants when lawyers cannot assist their clients in the way that, that we need to do so and to fulfill our own mandates uh, with uh, in the solicitor-client relationship. So the, after the letter that uh, CBA President Brad Rieger uh, sent to the ministers of justice and immigration, shortly thereafter, we did hear from Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada, that they would be implementing um, an updated version of the PR uh, intake portal, which would be a representative portal, which they went live with. Uh, They honored their um, promise at that point and went live with it in September. And um, I'm already starting to use it as other practitioners are. And it's uh, it's just wonderful. And it would have been great to have that at the outset, but glad to see they're going in the right direction in, in this regard. Would like to see that, of course, across all immigration technologies, including for citizenship applications. And also, there's a, a new process to virtually land uh, clients, which cuts out representatives in the final, most paramount stages. So we're still um, looking ahead to see uh, if there's any willingness to bring uh, lawyers back into that important last step of our uh, mandates. Um, but it's, it's a positive step in the right direction. Great. Okay. So there there have been some positive changes to these minimum viable products. There have been some updates. Um, it's, yes. That's great that you mentioned the the May letter from Brad Bakir. I actually had a, a nice quote about minimum viable products from him. And he says, a platform that does not integrate representatives and creates barriers to access to justice should not be considered a minimum viable product. So I'm glad to hear uh, for the sake of your clients that there have been some upgrades to the technology uh, that allows representatives to actually online file and, and do their jobs. But it does sound like there Absolutely. are there are some programs still where this is lacking. Yes, no, there are, and uh, there, there's still room for, pro- for for further progress. But 
uh, it did help to have uh, advocacy, I believe, uh, in this uh, by by means of a letter from um, the CBA president, uh, Brand Rieger, in support of this um, important issue for access to justice uh, and must appreciated by immigration lawyers across Canada because um, it did uh, it did I believe probe uh, the ministries to uh, get this uh, updated product or technology available to us more rapidly than they may have however in other regards I think that they don't um, that Immigration, refugees, and citizenship. Canada might always not. They, they do not always. Um, they've set up some processes which um, do not recognize really um, the nature of the solicitor-client relationship. That uh, you know we have a duty of service until the file is fulfilled and the mandate complete. So what has been happening recently is where an, a permanent residence application may have been filed even by the representative online, let's say in the old authorized representative uh, portal, and that, that did allow for certain streams to be submitted online for years by representatives. It's the newer system to capture old paper line businesses of, of IRCC, which did not. But for example, someone could have assisted a, a client with Canadian experience class express entry application, maybe a very complex application that may have taken several years even for a couple of years, let's say for, for IRCC to finalize in the context of the pandemic. And at the end of the very end of the process, the lawyer is cut out because the client may receive an email or the representative could get the email, but it specifically says that the representative cannot respond on behalf of the client, inviting the client to contact IRCC to set up their PR confirmation portal. And so what it involves is the client, the individual client must then email Immigration Canada and say, um, I'm in Canada, confirm they're in Canada, upload their PR card photo through an online PR confirmation portal. And that PR confirmation portal, uh, they're not opening that up, we understand to lawyers, because according to them, they have replicated the in-person um, act of signing the confirmation of permanent resident document with an officer. They've replicated that digitally through the PR confirmation portal. And as such, they believe, IRCC believes that there's no place for the representative to get involved. However, because um, the PR confirmation portal is such a crucial step, some clients may miss the email, they may not upload their photo properly, they, they may not act on the messages that they get from Immigration Canada, and potentially they could jeopardize something in their application that had been carefully put together by their lawyer. Uh, and at the end of the process, there could be um, uh, a pitfall. And um, meanwhile, the lawyer is sort of hampered because they were mandated to uh, assist with the permanent residence application from inception to conclusion. And meanwhile, it has not been concluded. Right. So it puts us, yeah, it puts us in a bit of an ethical dilemma. And, uh, you know, in terms of even how to um, capture this in retainer agreements, because, 
uh, we really are mandated in, in most cases to go right to the very end until the person receives their confirmation of permanent resident document, whether electronically or physical, and lands uh, in Canada, whether virtually landing, virtually landed if in Canada, or if overseas by uh, receiving the confirmation of permanent resident document, traveling to Canada and validating with an immigration officer upon their arrival in Canada. Right. Okay. So, yes, sounds like there's still a lot of pitfalls. Um, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know that you have a busy day, but I did want to ask you one final question. And that what suggestions do you have for immigration lawyers in the meantime uh, who are looking to adequately represent their clients in the matters that you've set out today in the podcast? What, What are you able to do until the platforms and the technologies change? Right. I guess one thing is to really um, keep abreast of trends because there are there are updates, there are um, uh, changes like the positive development we saw with the PR representative portal for the old paper line businesses or paper line applications of Immigration Canada um, being expanded to representatives. So there are positive developments. So staying abreast of the, the news, doing everything you can by means of the technologies where we are permitted to act to act because we know we need to be using those technologies and platforms so we understand how they work. Some lawyers may decide to sort of do more of the counseling type role, you know, with screen share and providing guidance to to a client through those Zoom and MS Teams and other other services. You know, some lawyers are able to, to sort of manage that in their practices and that's great. So some people have adapted in that sense. And then other lawyers are involved in advocacy and other initiatives, uh, um, you know, social media, et cetera, to make known to Immigration Canada that we are waiting with bated breath for them to ensure that uh, representatives, namely lawyers, would be able to have access to all of the technologies that are required to serve our clients um, and ensure that all those who have counsel are have access to justice and are able to be properly represented because they've hired a lawyer to uh, navigate a rather complex administrative process. And so they, you know, we need all the tools in order to do our job. What you're saying is that immigration lawyers can advocate, advocate to be able to be included in the process, to use technology as much as they can with adaptations like screen sharing when and if possible, and to keep abreast of the changes because it seems like it's a rapidly changing area. Absolutely. And I would encourage all immigration lawyers who are listening to get involved with their section because undoubtedly there will be other working groups formed around the issue of exclusion of counsel until it's no longer an issue anymore. And we would welcome, you know, fresh energies and ideas in terms of how to demonstrate that these minimal viable products are inadequate and and unacceptable in terms of our representation. Thanks again, Lisa, for breaking down this very complex issue for us. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks again to Lisa for explaining what these new online platforms mean for both immigration lawyers and their clients. We'd love to hear what you think about the issues or whether you've encountered a similar problem in a different area of law. 
tweet to us at CBA underscore news, or you can reach me at my handle at Marlise SS. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to receive notifications for new episodes and leave us a review. We also have a podcast in French called Juriste Branché. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode. Mm-hmm.